Well, it is so good to be with you guys. Um, I had an amazing week. I had take I took the staff uh, out. Uh, we were doing an offsite. Um, I brought forty eight uh, of our ministry team with us, and uh, we just had an incredible time of uh, prayer for you guys and for the next steps in the church. And uh, really excited to be able to share that stuff with you. We're going to do that in the fall. So there's all kinds of amazing stuff coming up, and uh, just ways in which new ways in which we're going to be interacting with the community and stepping in the gap to solve some problems. And so we're really excited. I'm excited to be able to share that with you. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open right now to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, about five, six years ago, I was uh, with some friends, and we were in downtown Atlanta, right around Peachtree Plaza area, and we were going to have dinner. So I pulled into the parking lot, and the attendant came up, and he said, that'll be $20. And I hate paying for parking. I'm so cheap. I just like, okay, fine, whatever. So I handed him the $20, just put it out of my mind. So we went into dinner, had a great dinner. It was amazing conversation. It was incredible. Then on our way back, we saw that, uh, or I saw that the guy who was the attendant uh, was panhandling three streets away. And uh, I realized he wasn't not an attendant at all. He was some rando guy that just came up and said, that'd be $20, sir. And I gave it to him. I gave it to him. It was ridiculous. I, but you know, here's the thing. I didn't even feel bad about it. I was like, bro, that was good. I mean, I, like that was a legitimate con. Now, sometimes the, the stories don't always end that way when people misrepresent themselves or misrepresent the truth. Often there's a negative outcome that can happen as a result of that. For me, $20, no big deal. That's what, it's what happens. But John is writing right now in our text in chapter four, warning us to be wise consumers of Christian experiences because he's gonna tell us that there are some people who go out from the church and preach and teach things that look very much like Jesus, look like the gospel, but they're not. In fact, they are a kind of imposter, a kind of counterfeit. And that has real world consequences for how we engage with God and real world consequences in ways we engage with one another. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it starts like this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So even in the days of Jesus, even in the days right after Jesus, where the disciples are teaching, there are people who are called false prophets. And a false prophet is nothing more than somebody who claims to be here in the name of Jesus that teaches something about Jesus that's false, Right? But he says here, just the first thing I want you to see here is this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. The, 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 sometimes I've heard preachers very much hyper-spiritualize this passage, and it's not what it's about at all. It's much more practical than that. So that's why you'll see in brackets right here the word person, because spirit is not a, transla- not a great translation here. And what he's really trying to communicate is the heart of a person, right? Dear friends, do not believe the heart of a person, but test the people, the people who come forward to tell you about God, to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into this world. And so there are all kinds of people who pretend to speak in the name of Jesus, but are really counterfeit false prophets, right? And so what they'll do is they'll say, man, I love Jesus like you do, but I'm gonna tell you something new about Jesus. I'm gonna introduce you to a guy in history in a little while uh, who 99.9% of you have never heard of. And mostly if if you're in seminary right now, you might know this person, but most people won't know him. He's the reason why 1 John is being written in the first place. Everywhere John goes to preach, this guy comes right behind him. 
oh, I agree with what John's teaching, but let me tell you something else about Jesus. And then he distorts it, twists it, turns it into a counterfeit and robs people of the real Jesus. So he says, dear friends, do not believe every person. And of course, John is not, John is not trying to get you and I to be paranoid. He's not trying to get you to be suspicious of every person. You should not walk around society and when someone comes up to you that you don't know, go false prophet, you know? You, 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 should, you should be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm gonna give everybody the opportunity to be able to uh, treat me well, to respond in the right way, to act right, and I'm gonna trust you until I can no longer trust you. So I believe we don't start with suspicion as Christians. I think we trust people until we can no longer trust them. They will show you who they are. Time and truth run hand in hand. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now I'm gonna give you a principle that will kind of like put context to everything we're going to look at today. Up on the screen, it says this. What we believe is just as important as how strongly we believe it. What we believe is just as important as how strongly we believe it. There tend to be two errors when you and I are trying to figure out what beliefs am I gonna hold on to and what beliefs I'm gonna reject. And this has to do with your faith, but it also has to do with every other area of belief in your life. How do we determine what is true, what is right, and what is helpful? Well, there tend to be a couple of errors that we fall into, all right? Especially when it comes to the gospel. Up on the screen, there are at least two errors that we can fall into when it comes to choosing our beliefs. Number one, what we believe isn't nearly as important as how we believe. These people are how we believe people. The next one, how we believe isn't nearly as important as what we believe. These are what we believe people. So let's take this first one right here, how we believe people, right? So he's saying, what we're saying right here is what we believe isn't nearly as important as how we believe. In other words, you know what? And this tends to be, by the way, um, if you're in the room right now and you're not super religious, you might, might not identify yourself as a Christian, but you're trying to figure out like your philosophy of life right now. You're trying to figure out like, what is the guiding principle? How do I make moral decisions? How do I make wise decisions? You're trying to figure out how do I make these decisions, right? Well, for you, you might come from this philosophy automatically. It's very prevalent in our society. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe, just buy into what you believe so much and be passionate about that and live it out and be authentic to it. And that's really, really what matters. But that's completely not right. <laughs> That's not an appropriate way for us to be able to think through this, right? What we believe isn't nearly as important as how we believe it. Yes, how we believe things, really important. But the content of what you believe is super important. Christians, the gospel is not a bunch of feelings. It's not, I feel good because I go to church or I feel good because I read the Bible. Those can happen and we hope they happen when you're here. But, but, but here's the bigger picture. The gospel is actually a piece of information that has content to it so, so much so that if we get the content wrong, then the person of Jesus ceases to be the person of Jesus. Like for example, if, if I were to believe false things about my wife, or let's just say someone comes and says, hey, let me tell you some things about your wife that you don't know. The first thing that I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, no, 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 I know her. I know, I'm all, I'm, all, I'm all in with her. I understand her character, her nature. But if I start questioning all of these things about who she is or believing things about her that are not true, she will cease to be my wife and she will become someone else. In very much the same way, the content of what we believe matters because if you and I believe a lie in our relationships, they kill the relationship. If you and I believe a lie with our relationship with God, it can kill our relationship with God. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But these people are like, you know what? These are, these are the people who are like, kind of like, 
the ones who put the, the coexist bumper sticker on the back of their car, right? They're basically like, it doesn't really matter what you believe. All religions basically file down to some common principle, be good and be nice. But all it takes is like five minutes of research and studying different religions to know that if you just get beneath the surface of them and you actually start looking at what every major world religion believes, they are mutually exclusive. They have different goals, different ends, and different visions of the good life for the person. And they're mutually exclusive from one another. So it does matter what we believe, not just how we believe. This tends to be people who are somewhat irreligious that follow this. People who are religious in the room, people who have been followers of Jesus maybe for a while, this is our challenge, right? How we believe isn't nearly as important as what we believe. How we believe is not nearly as important as what we believe. Let's go back to the, the previous one for a second. What we believe isn't nearly as important as how we believe. Listen to what John says in, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 8, 31. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, right? In other words, if you follow the content of my teaching, right? The information in, in that, you really are my disciples. You can say, I'm a genuine follower of Jesus. Then you will know the truth. What happens when you know the truth? The truth will set you free. But if you center your life on an error, if you center your life on a falsehood, that has massive implications. Let me, let me, just, let me just give you an example. Um, years ago, I was counseling with a woman who came. This is post kind of like a big trauma she had in her life. And uh, she came and she said, you know, I, I grew up in a really dysfunctional uh, household. I, I would definitely describe it as a, an abusive household. And, and she was probably in her mid-30s. And she said, hey, um, I was recently, not too long ago, told that my family that I thought was my family, this one that was all dysfunctional, was my actual family. But these were actually people who adopted me that never told me the story. So at the heart of her whole life was a lie. And she said, as soon as I found that out, I wanted to know my birth mother. And so she went looking for her birth mother. And she found the person who was her birth mother, but her birth mother had died six months before she found her. And so she was devastated about all the possibilities of what could happen in the future with the connection that they would have. And it made it more difficult was that it seems like her mom was a really wonderful person that would have really enhanced her life. And so at the core of her life, there was a lie. And in other words, information that was false. And what that did was it tainted all of the experiences with her family from the past. Anything good or positive, she looked back on it like as a giant deception built on a foundation filled with falsehoods that actually were not something that she wanted to be a part of. And so she broke all communication off. When you build your life on a falsehood, it tears down your history. When you build your life on a falsehood, it destroys possibilities in the future that you could have beautiful possibilities like having a relationship with your mom. She could have had a, an amazing relationship with both moms and both dads in the process. Jesus says, look, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. You, you can say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But then, so if, then, you will know the truth and the truth will set your heart free. Having a lie in your life will ultimately distort who you are. And the number two, the second thing, how we believe isn't nearly as important as what we believe. And this really is kind of more of the, the Christian problem, I would say. Um, there are tons of people who say, you know what? You can't just be all emotional about what you believe. I mean, being passionate about what you believe, that's fine, that's good. But you know what? It's really about making sure you know what is orthodox, what is right belief in the Bible. And that's 100% true. You need to know those things. That's what we just discussed. But on the flip side of it, there are many people who know what's in the Bible. Like if I were to give you the test right now, is Jesus God? Check, yes. Did he die for your sins? Check, yes. You know, and you could just go through the test and you go, yeah, virgin birth, check, yes, right? Uh, Holy Spirit, check, yes. Heaven, check, yes. 
right? You can just do all that. You know the right information. But the problem is not for you that you have the right information. You don't do anything with the how. How now am I supposed to live as a result of that? For some of us, we're like, I know all the stuff and my, my spiritual life seems somewhat lukewarm right now. Like I'm not passionate about it anymore. I've heard it, Pastor Mike. I know, I've been there, I check it off. Some people even leave church because they're like, I don't even, I don't even, I know what you're going to say. I know what the Bible teaches. You're right. That's not your problem. Your problem is how much of yourself are you giving to it? How much of Jesus are you giving yourself to? That's the question. For you, the what is already settled. You know what to believe, but how to believe it, you're not there yet. You're trying to figure that out. And honestly, that's something that we'll all try to figure out for the rest of our lives. But there, there, there are challenges with this, right? I talked about it a little bit last week. And I said, when I'm cl- with close close friends of mine, and we have some kind of conflict or some kind of problem, which invariably, even in healthy relationships, you have those, um, I will always get to the end of it, and I'll ask the question, what is the last 10% that you need to say to me? Because what I know and what I've learned over time is that we, many of us, are really willing to be authentic 90% of the way. And then that last 10%, which is the gut-wrenching part, that's the hard part to hear, it's the hard part to say, that part of it, we just kind of hold back. But it's that last 10% really, I think, that needs to be told and heard and said. And yet in the same way, that last 10% of us that we're, not, that we're holding back from God, that 25%, 30%, whatever it is on your like metric, you know, that last 10%, that's what needs to be given to them. In the Old Testament, there is this picture of God. And, and it's really interesting because if it was applied to us as human beings, it would be terrible, it'd be a vice. But when it's applied to God, it's not because of, his, because of his perfections. But the Old Testament says that God is a jealous God. Jealousy for us, not so much of a good thing. But for God, there's a reason for it. It's like when I married my wife, Kelly. I said to Kelly, hey, Kelly, um, I'm gonna be yours and you're gonna be mine. And we're gonna love each other in a way that we don't love anyone else in the whole world. We can love other people. We can care for other people. We can, be, we can have friends and we can be engaged, but you and I, we're gonna love in a way that's totally different than anyone else in the world. And that exclusivity right there, that's actually what makes it special. It's what makes us, us. In the same way, God is saying, I want that kind of exclusive relationship with you. I don't want you to be you know, with this God and this God and this God and this God. You know, like for example, Hinduism. Hinduism has as a very, at the core of it, a polytheistic kind of religion. In other words, when you talk to someone who's Hindu, they'll go, yeah, man, I'm all in on Jesus, savior of the world, yay. But I also like Krishna and I also like so-and-so. And I also, it's like a smorgasbord, like a buffet of gods. And that's not different than the way it was in the Old Testament with people as well. They were also polytheistic. And so God says, no, no, I want exclusivity with you. I want our relationship to be special. I'm gonna love you in a way that, you'll, that no one else will be loved and I'll love you in a unique way that no one else will be loved ever again. And so he's like, I'm all in on you. But for, for some of us with two, how we believe isn't nearly as important as what we believe. For some of us, we need to go that last 10% or 25% or whatever it is for you. Maybe it's 50%. That you just need to go, God, I'm gonna give the rest of myself to you. Why? Because our problem is not the what, what we believe. It's the how, how do we live it out? We need to figure out not just what to believe. We know that. You don't need more information. What you need is more surrender. Willingness to say, God, I'll give you all of me. And I'm not gonna hold anything back. In fact, James is written to a group of people exactly like I just described. And in James chapter one, he's trying to solve this problem for us. And it's so helpful and so practical. He says, James 1, 22, 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Really interesting. He says, don't just listen to the Bible. Don't listen to a sermon. Don't just listen to these things. But he says, you gotta do what it says. And if you don't, here's what happens. You end up deceiving yourselves. Well, in what way do we deceive ourselves? Well, when you and I say, I believe something, but we don't actually act it out. I know what I'm supposed to believe, but I'm not sure how to live it out. Then we have a giant problem. At the core of who we are, there is a lie. And that lie is that I truly believe what I say. In other words, in Old Testament, I mean, in, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew mind, writers of the New Testament, their idea basically was this, that when, when the Bible says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, here's what it means. It means know the content of who you're following and then act on that content of who you're following. That constitutes belief. You and I, because of this old philosopher named Descartes and his cool little thing called Cartesian dualism, we separated two ideas in our heads. I can think this way and I can be this way. Back in the Hebrew mind, these two things work together. I only think this way if I'm doing this. So belief in the Bible is all about taking these two things, the what I believe and how I live and pushing them together. So do I really believe something if I don't live it out? Well, the answer is no. I'm kind of deceiving myself into believing. And then he says, here's what the solution to that is. Just do what it says. Now, I know that's hard and none of us are ever gonna do it right. None of us are ever gonna do it perfectly, but here's what you can avoid. I hate drama, you guys. I just do. Like, I love being in the life of people who are hurting and going through hard times and I love teaching. I love that drama. Love that kind of stuff. I hate self-generated drama. I do. How many of you hate it when you're the source of the drama? Raise your hand. You're like, I'm not going to say that I do drama. Yes, you do. Liars. Some of you are like, so hold on. Listen, listen, all of us have drama. I hate it when it comes from me. And here's the problem. Here's, here's what he's saying. We're not just supposed to know what the content is, but we're actually supposed to do what it says. So here's what we do. We're taking steps in life. We're just growing. We're taking steps towards Jesus, hopefully. But every once in a while, what happens is we're able to step around a trap. Let me show you what I mean. Check out the next verse. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Well, what is, what is a mirror good for? There's two things that we use mirrors for, right? One thing we use a mirror for is to get in the mirror and go, yeah, all right. I mean, the other thing that we do when we look in a mirror is we're looking at the mirror to figure out what's wrong so I can fix it. So that's the, con- that's the, that's the sense in which he's talking about a mirror here. I'm gonna look at myself and I'm gonna go, how do I fix whatever I need? His beard, right? Okay, how's this work? And then I step away from the mirror and I go, oh wait, what did I look like? And then I go back and I, oh, okay, I gotta fix this. I step away from the mirror and then I forget what I look like. What good is a mirror? A mirror is completely useless if when you step away from the mirror, you forget totally what you look like. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Next verse. But whoever looks intently, this means like seriously and with some conviction. But whoever looks seriously with some conviction into the perfect law, what's the perfect law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor. Puts it in priority. Love God first, love other people, right? That gives freedom and continues in it, forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you see this? There's a promise at the end of this whole thing. How do you act and live blessed? You act and live blessed by knowing what the content of what you believe is, and then actually living out what the content of that is. So you're walking through life, you're going through life, and here's what happens. 
I hate self-generated drama. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to try everything I can to walk God's path, not just my path, what I want, but walk path that God has for me. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to walk the path and I'm going to go, oh, adultery. No, thank you. Oh my gosh, look at this. This is uh, be- doing stuff bad with my uh, money. Look at this. All the stuff the Bible speaks about. Look, oh my goodness, look at that. Being rude and mean to other people. That's not helpful. And I'm going to avoid all of these traps and all these pits. Whereas some of your friends, you know these friends. You're like, why can't you get your life straight? Here's the reason why. They're just like, and why just like falling into pit after pit after pit. You're like, why are you always in a pit? Why are you always? And the reason why they're always in a pit is because they're not blessed in everything they do because they don't know what the gospel is and they don't act according to the gospel. Our job is fairly simple. It is simply to know what Jesus, who Jesus is and then to walk as if it actually matters who he is. And it's challenging. There's a guy, and I told you that I was gonna introduce you to him. Uh, his name is Cerinthus. Uh, and Cerinthus is a character who is coming after John. And he's really trying to disrupt John's ministry by basically stealing the identity of Jesus away from believers. So every time John preaches, Cerinthus comes behind him and he teaches something and he wrote the book of Cerinthus. Isn't that great? Isn't that lovely to be able to write your own part of the Bible? Uh, so he basically writes this book and he's a Gnostic. Gnostics were people who in the early church uh, believed that the material world uh, was bad. The physical world, we, like our bodies, um, anything that's physical that you can touch, taste, smell, see, hear, all of those things, materiality is bad and wicked. But spirit, like our souls are good, right? This is not what the Bible teaches. And so this guy was come in and he'd come right after John would teach. And he'd go, oh man, I love what John taught you guys. But let me tell you something else. And the word Gnostic starts with a prefix, Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosis means secret knowledge or hidden knowledge. So let me come in and tell you the secret things about Jesus that no one else is telling you about right now. And this is what he did. He took the name of Jesus. The name of, so Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. It's not his last name. Jesus Christ. So, 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 so Jesus, first name, right? Christ is his title and said, Jesus is the physical man and Christ was the spirit that came on him when he did amazing things. It came to him in his baptism and it departed at his, at his um, crucifixion. This is terrible because here are a couple of implications of his teaching. Number one, because materiality is bad and physical things are bad, Jesus was not born of a virgin. And so he subtracts this from him. He goes, Jesus couldn't be born from a virgin. Look at all the wonderful miracles and crazy things that Jesus did. He raised people from the dead. He did all these incredible things. And the people go, yeah, yeah, that's what John taught us. That's what exactly right. And he goes, but he can't be, he can't be God because he is physical. He needs only to be spiritual. And so he stole Jesus's identity as one who was born of a virgin. Now, some of you in the room might be going, what's the big deal, dude? That's just like something. Like that's like baptism. It's not. You know, in baptism, whether you sprinkle or dunk, it doesn't matter. Like that's not, the, that's not a salvation issue. Whether you're a Presbyterian or a Methodist, this is not a salvation issue. But whether Jesus was born of a virgin is absolutely a salvation. It's not something we can subtract. You go, well, why? What's the big deal about that? Here's why. Because when Jesus was born, he, the, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Jesus, or Mary rather, came upon Mary, implanted Jesus in her, he is both divine, he's human, and he is spiritual, right? He is both fully man and fully God. Now, why this is important? Because if he is not both fully man and fully God, then we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. Look, I look, I look back in history and I think, man, I'm so grateful for the guys that served in Vietnam 
the guys that served in the Iraq wars and all of, the, all of these things, World War I, World War II. And I think, man, these guys died for us. Like, that's a big deal. Like, we're free because of their death. But that doesn't change how I'm gonna stand before the Father one day. A man can sacrifice himself for you. And that, that might be, wow. And we'll, we'll put a day on you. That's great. But that actually doesn't change how you'll be when you stand before God one day. Because Jesus was not just a man, but he was actually God. When he dies, he surrenders himself and he dies punished in our place for our sins. That opens up eternal life to us. So now here's what's different about you if you're a Christian. When God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see all the screw-ups. You see it and that's why you feel bad sometimes. You're like, oh, why am I continuing down this road with the same sin? But the father looks from heaven and sees you, doesn't see that wickedness. He sees the blood of Christ shed over your life. And that's why he calls you daughter, not hey you. That's why he calls you son, not hey screw up. Because he sees only what Jesus did for you. And that's why one day we'll stand before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, have peace. But it's interesting. John goes on in in verse one, he says, dear friends, do not believe every person but test people to see whether they are from God because many counterfeit prophets have gone out into the world. This, this word false right here, it means counterfeit. It means somebody who's pretending to be something that they're not have gone out into the world. And this was written 2000 years ago. How many people have been counterfeit teachers over the last 2000 years? So many, so many. And John's not trying to create paranoia in you. What he's trying to do is he's trying to say, make sure that you know the content of what you believe and act on the content of what you believe. And it'll make all the difference in the world. When I was a kid, my mom was a, uh, she was a vice president in a savings and loan. And she worked with the FBI in the fraud and forgery division. And, uh, you know, they're just, um, I guess at any given moment in time, there's tons of fake counterfeit money floating around the world. And this is just a thing that people do, I guess. And so, um, I remember just being really, I thought it was really cool. My mom would go to these FBI seminars and hang out with FBI agents. And it was, it was kind of cool. And I remember asking her, mom, how do you know? Because she was the go-to person in the bank. Like if a teller thought something was weird or strange or something like that, they would bring the money to my mom. She would go, oh yes, this is an obvious counterfeit. And this is why it's counterfeit. She just could see it right away. And I remember saying, mom, why do, how are you so good at being able to spot that kind of money? And she goes, oh, well, we don't actually learn anything about counterfeit money. We study the real thing so closely that when I touch a piece of paper, I know that it's not the right kind of paper. When I look at the ink, I know it's the right, not right kind of ink. When I see the design, I know that the design is off because I've studied the real thing so much that when something counterfeit comes, it's clear to me that this isn't a real thing. And this is exactly what John is doing for us right now. Focus on what is real. Focus on who Jesus is. The gospel is a period of... Uh, 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 the gospel is a message designed to help us know God better. And when we have a lie at the center of that, it distorts our relationship with him. And verse two says it like this. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit or ideology that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And that is from God, right? Verse three says it like this. But every spirit or ideology, every philosophy, every idea, every book, every preacher, every guru, every whatever, but every person that does not acknowledge that Jesus 
but every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So you remember like six weeks ago, I, I was talking to you guys about Antichrist and trying to give you a little peace for those of you who are like end times freaked out. And I was just like, you know, you walk in the room and you're like, there's a big Antichrist one day. He's gonna, he's gonna come, he's gonna destroy the world. And I'm like, no, no, that's a terrible Nicolas Cage movie, but that's about it, right? And I'll be like, it's like, like left behind, awful, right? But, but, but it's one of those things, like there's multiple visions and interpretations of what takes place at the end of time. So that's just one of them. And it's only 200 years old. Look at what he says here. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, right? Which you have heard is coming. So more of these guys are coming down the road. And by the way, he is now present in the world. So 2,000 years ago, there were people that John would look at and go, that guy's got the spirit of Antichrist. Like he's an Antichrist. So Antichrists are not uncommon. They're just people who don't acknowledge that Jesus is God and that deform and distort and twist the nature of who he is. So for us, what we recognize is that everything, everything has to do with the identity of who Jesus is. So years ago, uh, probably seven or eight years ago, I would say, um, somebody emailed me out of the blue, one of, our, one of our people that come to our church, and she said, uh, Pastor Mike, did everything turn out okay? And I was like, I, like about, about what? Because there's always something not okay in the world of pastoring. I was like, what's, like what? What do you mean? And she says, well, when you sent me that email, and I was like, uh, I didn't send you any email. Can you send me the email? And she sent me the email, and it was me, but not me. And it was sent to her, and it says, hey, uh, could you, I'm in a meeting right now, really important meeting right now with the staff, and I can't get out of this meeting right now. Um, I need $2,000 to be able to solve a problem inside the church right now and help some people that need some help immediately. Could you please send it to me, and, and, and you know, we'll be, we'll, you'll, you'll help me out a lot. And so she did, right? And, and then she, you know, you know why she did, right? Because she trusts me. Because she's like, if he says that, he's not gonna like do something bad with the money. Like, I'll do it. By the way, I'll never do that. Just so you know, you get a weird email, like I need 500 bucks right now. I don't, I have a credit card, okay? Like, we'll be just fine. We'll be fine without, don't fall into that thing, okay? So, so she did, and in that moment, what happened was she took my good, they took my good name, made, them, made themselves an imposter, a counterfeit, and then destroyed something that she owned, like her money. She, they just took it away. In very much that same way, that's exactly what's happening when people teach about the gospel and they twist it and they distort it. They're counterfeiters. They're pretenders. And they always do it for self-enrichment. They always do it for the purpose of some kind of gain that points to them and them alone. You know how you can tell somebody who focuses on the gospel? They point to Jesus as the ultimate hope, not to themselves. Let me say it one more time. They point to Jesus as the ultimate hope and not themselves as the ultimate hope. Our hope is in Jesus. In fact, that's how we end today. Verse four says this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Who's the them in this? Them is the false teachers, the liars, the counterfeiters, the tricksters. And no matter how crafty Satan is with his lies in your life, the Bible says that you are, you and I are daughters and sons of God. We are his dear children, and we are from, God, are from God and have overcome these people and Satan. Because the one who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world, that's Satan. The one who walks with you, who's in your heart, who guides you, who leads you, that one, as we connect to, to the truth, and as we begin to live that truth out, that is what, how we overcome. That is how we move beyond. 
That is how we get through. Verse five, it ends like this. But, but in contrast to those people, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. You know how you can't tell a false teacher? They are from the world and therefore speak the viewpoint of the world, but the world does not listen, the world, and the world listens to them. You can't uh, locate a false teacher because they have no following. Oftentimes, false teachers have massive followings, lots of people. It's just that they are not from the kingdom of God. They're from the world. And this world, this world in this context is, not, is, is in opposition to the kingdom of God. They are from the world, not from the kingdom of God. And therefore, they speak the viewpoint of the world, not the kingdom of God. And the world listens to them, but the kingdom of God does not. And that's who we are. Jesus ends like this. John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Look, he says this, so that in me, you may have peace. He wants you and I to have peace, right? But how are we going to have peace right here? We have to know that in this world, we'll have trouble. If we build our relationship with Jesus on a lie, one of the things that happens is that we have expectations of Jesus that are wrong, that end up disillusioning us. Let me give you an example. If you and I build a relationship with Jesus that says his goal is for us to have peace and to be happy, and that's his whole goal. And therefore, he'll certainly answer my prayers when something I think is going to lead me to happiness. If you build that expectation into your relationship with God, when he doesn't answer in the exact way that you want him to answer your prayers, you might step back and go, God either hates me or I'm doing something wrong with my life. Neither of those things may actually be true. It's just that you placed an expectation on Jesus that he never promised to fulfill. And when we place expectations on Jesus that he never thought to fulfill, and we step back and go, God, why aren't you doing it? He's in the background going, pal, I never, I promised I would. But that can disillusion us. The content of what we believe about Jesus actually matters and how we live that out matters. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, but you need to know that in this world you're gonna have trouble. But you don't have to have the drama trouble. You don't have to have the, the, the falling into the pits. Oh, I'm not gonna sleep with her. I'm not gonna sleep with him. I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do that. We get to walk around those pits, but there is some trouble that you'll have. It happens to all of us. At some point or another, we, we know someone who's gone through things like this. Sometimes, because we live in a broken world, someone gets cancer. And when that person gets cancer, we don't look at them and go, well, obviously you got cancer because you're a sinner. No, we live in a broken world. And sometimes just bad things happen, period. We're driving through an intersection and somebody T-bones and you lose your wife. That's terrible. Has nothing to do with you. God is 100% still with you in that situation. It's nothing to do with you. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've got a bunch of money. Take heart, I've got an awesome house. Take heart, I've got a killer wife. No, take heart in Jesus, why? Because he's overcome the world. Every trial, tribulation, hardship, and difficulty that you encounter in this world, Jesus has overcome it. And what that means is that no suffering in your life will ever endure. It's why all the time at the communion service, I say that same thing, that when Jesus returns, he comes to heal his church. Why? Because it's true and we need to be reminded every week because every week you go out and you hear people say all the time, things are terrible, things are hard, it's scary, it's, it's horrible, things are gonna get worse, you're in trouble, it's dangerous, it's dangerous. And we all live amped up. No, 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 no. Christian, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Suffering will not endure. The end is whole and beauty and goodness is ahead.
Amen? Amen. Father, we come to you right now with gratitude in our hearts. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. We're so grateful that your spirit speaks to us and shows us what our next step is, God. And I pray exactly that, that for some people in the room right now, maybe they need to press in a little bit more to the what. They need to know more about what they believe. And others, it's not about what they believe. They have walked with you a long time, but there's some areas that, they, that some of us still need to surrender. We're holding back 10% of our, of our money, of our heart, of our time, 25% of our, of our dreams, whatever it is, God, we have a percentage and we're holding it back from you. And God, you want an exclusive relationship with us, one that is different than any other relationship that has ever and will ever exist in the history of mankind. And we want that too at our heart, Lord, but sometimes we're just afraid. We're scared. We're scared to give that last 10% or 20%, whatever it is. But Lord, you are good. And because you are good, Lord, we want to trust you. So help us in our unbelief. Help us give you everything that we possibly can for your glory and for the good of your people, we pray, amen.